Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 316 of the Fun with Cars Motorsports Podcast, or episode 3 of 2022. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who needs to explain to me what 11s are, Chris Faroche. Chris, what are 11s? Oh, it sounds like something I should know about. It's a snack. It's food. It's food you with, eat at 11 with, o'clock in the morning. With, with tea, I believe. So you can... You can have it with tea if you wish. It's not tea well, time. How could you not, not have it with tea. tea? Tea is fantastic. What, what? So are all English hobbits, do they have like noonsies and late breakfast and all these other things as well? How many meals a day do you guys have? <laughs> as many as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it is Wednesday afternoon, March 2nd, and Chris and I are going to talk about the just completed testing that happened in Barcelona, as well as the first IndyCar race. And, yes, there's definitely some news to talk about as well. Chris, where would you like to start? Oh, let's talk about those three days in Barcelona. It was uh, a lot of fun. We got to see, uh, you know, the best the best look we've had yet of the 22 cars, uh, the, the 2022 cars, that is. There are 10 cars. And uh, for anyone that's confused. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so the Red Bull was pretty striking. It's uh, as you were alluding to in the last podcast. Yeah, Adrian Newey and his boys have been busy, and they've certainly got some unique interpretations of the rules and some pretty uh, interesting features on their car. Um, obviously, uh, we had we had uh, speculated about Alfa Romeo's presence, but they were there in a, in a camouflage car. Um, so, which is so, so odd. I I don't know why you'd bother with the camouflage. What are they hiding in from whom? Well, you saw the new livery this week, right? I mean, it is different, but not massively so. So a bit of pointless, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we had three days. The reliability in general was decent, I would say. Um, I've got the order of, uh, of the teams here with the most number of laps. So Ferrari topped the lap uh, count with 439. Then it was Mercedes, McLaren and Red Bull and Williams all in the sort of the mid to high 300s. Alfa Torre, uh, Aston Martin did about 300 laps. Alpine was down at 266. Alfa Romeo at 175 and has bottom of the table with 160 laps. Um, so definitely the last three had some reliability issues over the course of the three days. Um, and uh, speed-wise, Mercedes topped the times, um, but uh, there were different tyre compounds being run. Uh, so interesting. And we don't uh, know Gary, fuel loads and uh, how aggressive right. they were with settings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely, definitely. Gary Anderson, uh, the former technical director at Jordan Grand Prix, uh, amongst others, put together an interesting tyre um, adjusted order. So he reckons, and again, you're right, he also makes the claim they don't know the fuel loads, but... Right now, he thinks the pecking order is Ferrari, Red Bull, McLaren, Mercedes, Ast uh, Alfa Torre, Aston Martin, Alpine, Williams, Haas, and Alfa Romeo. So we could have Ferrari uh, back they at the put, shop end. They put Haas ahead of Alfa Romeo, huh? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I think you're splitting heads. That's fascinating. I mean, both, you know, maybe for the laps that. that it keeps running. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, there were some interesting aerodynamic issues with these new ground effect cars and... and uh, Porpoising was the was was the word of the test. Um, so essentially, the cars are uh, bouncing down the main straight at Barcelona um, because the ground effect uh, 
uh, is applied and the cars get sucked down and then it loses that ground effect because of a stall and then it bounces back up again and the cycle repeats so there's some great video footage of particularly the Ferrari just bouncing up and down uh, down the main straight and Alfa Romeo seemed to be one of the teams uh, most affected I mean all of the teams were affected to some extent but Alfa Romeo and Ferrari seem to have some of the worst issues and so the teams are going to have to try and figure out how to solve that it might actually be inherent in the regulations uh, the definition of, of the tunnels and, and the ride height of the vehicles and so on and so forth but um, but yeah that's something that has to be resolved Real quick, let's just elaborate on elaborate on that just a little bit further. So, the car is getting sucked down almost too effectively to the point that it's basically bottoming out the floor of the car, which takes all the air away from the tunnels. And once the air is gone, the downforce is gone, and the car just pops right back up under its own springs. And then once it pops back up there's all that air again to start forcing the car down again and that's how the cycle repeats itself so it's this weird like it's almost the downforce is too effective too quickly and uh is there a way to get the downforce to kind of find its uh its maximum while you still have some ride height that it can maintain itself and that's how you avoid porpoising but the simplest way to do that is to increase the ride height of the car, and doing that takes away a lot of the effectiveness of the downforce in the first place. So it's this real classic catch-22 in terms of aerodynamic conundrums. Yeah, and I guess it's not something that could be replicated easily in the wind tunnel because they have to they have to run the cars at a, at a specific ride height, and they can't lower it down to a point where it's touching the belt. Otherwise, you end up damaging both the... The belt itself of the tunnel, the, the rolling road tunnel, and and the model of the car. So it's it's hard to replicate in the wind tunnel. I guess uh, they're obviously struggling to also simulate it in the computational fluid dynamics modeling they're doing. So it's it's something that you know good old fashioned track time is is necessary to to figure out um, the right balance. Uh, you know whether there's things you can do with the rest of the floor. To try and mitigate the issue or you know finding the right spring rates obviously you know if you if you stiffen the springing of the car that may help to a certain degree but then you might be too stiff for um you know other parts of the track so uh i'm sure the f1 teams are hard at work on it and we'll probably see some improvement in bahrain and uh, throughout the season yeah absolutely so uh red bull has already said that they're going to have uh quite different looking car already for the next test mm -hmm. and um other people have said you know updates are coming but i think red bull was uh, had the biggest claim of significant changes coming what what were the main takeaways from this first test that you saw i i certainly seemed i'll just quickly say that it certainly seems like ferrari seems to be in a good place mercedes still seems to have its ducks in a row um but uh you know I, I still don't read too much into it just yet. Yeah, so you're right. I think the first iteration of the 22 cars were what were out in Barcelona, and the expectation is there'll be quite a few updates uh, for Bahrain, I guess, as well as Red Bull. Mercedes are planning to bring a pretty sizable upgrade too. Um, so I think 
you know, the top four teams, Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren and Red Bull, all look pretty close. I think both McLaren and Ferrari do look strong. So hopefully we'll be in a situation where we could have four potential teams winning races at the start of the season, which would be... That'd be brilliant. Uh, fantastic. Um, Red Bull had um, some pretty significant gearbox issues on the Thursday. Uh, so that could be an issue. Um, if they if they are, are having trouble with reliability, that could obviously limit... Um, their ability to challenge early in the season, uh, which could be very costly. But uh, I don't know if uh, how long that, that will take to, to resolve or if that they think it was a manufacturing issue or an inherent design issue. But, yeah, it does look like those top four um, are going are gonna to be um, competitive with each other. And then you've got, uh, you've got quite a, an interesting midfield battle with, I think, um, certainly Aston Martin, AlphaTauri, and potentially Alpine. Alpine were running really conservatively on their engine modes they weren't using drs um and yet and yet still had engine trouble (laughs) well it was a hydraulic issue apparently um it wasn't actually a a, a, one of the engines that blew up on friday it was uh something else that caused all the smoke and flame (laughs) so (laughs) still still not great smoke and flame is kind of (laughs) a no-no no matter what but yeah fair so yeah, it does look like you've got your three stragglers, sort of three midfield teams at the moment, and four, you know, that are going to be competitive. So so it does bode well for a really exciting season. I think uh, the other interesting thing that happened during the test on Friday after lunch, they um, artificially uh, watered the surface of the track so Pirelli could get some data on their their wet weather tyres. It wasn't entirely effective. They spent, um, I guess quite some time dowsing the whole track surface uh, and then within three laps the track was so dry that they all had to switch to inters only daniel ricardo was able to do any meaningful wet weather tire running before the track well, was too dry i mean what, what were they expecting rain <laughs> continuously falls as they're driving that's what makes a wet track it's not i mean it's it, whenever rain has happened and it's past tense it's always it's not a wet track. It's a drying track, and it's just a matter of how quickly it will dry. I, it, so I can't be the only one that thought of this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It does remind me of one of Bernie Eccleston's crazier uh, suggestions, though, that they, they fit all the tracks with sprinkler systems so they could randomize the weather during the course of a dull race and just turn the sprinklers on for a few laps to wet the track yeah. and then yeah. turn them off again. Fortunately, that wasn't implemented. We just got DRS instead. And you know it'd be great as well is if they um, instead of racetracks, they were just in these like you know uh, twenty foot by twenty foot rings with like three levels of ropes around them, and <laughs> instead of cars, the drivers just wore like interesting spandex suits and came up with crazy names, and then they just like wrestled each other, <laughs> and uh, it was fake but kind of entertainment. I mean that would be super cool, and I feel like there might be something similar to that somewhere. I become such an old curmudgeon when it comes to that. Like, don't change that. Change is bad. That just, but like the, the beauty of racing is it's just, it's so simple. Whoever's fastest wins. That is the end of it. The more complexity you add, the more that gets, uh, sullied or, uh, or watered down. You could say if you parted the pun, <laughs> I totally agree. So let's talk about Pierre Gasly for a second. Cause a lot of people fancy, uh, the the AlphaTauri, they they think it looks a pretty good, well executed car. So and Gasly had a strong season last year. 
Uh, and a lot of people are up in arms that he wasn't considered for the Red Bull drive again this season. But um, one of the things that Gasly managed to do during the test uh, was crash the car again. Now, if those of us who recall his, his one season at Red Bull, we'll all remember that he crashed the Red Bull in testing uh, prior to the start of the season, which sort of got him off on the wrong foot. And he's repeated the feat here. Um, he crashed it badly enough that, that Sonoda, who was scheduled to go out on the Friday afternoon, wasn't able to... Uh, to run in the car at all they basically had to finish the test early i mean that's not great is it i mean if he if he really wants to be considered as a contender for a top team in this era of such you know strong driver lineup i mean we've got such riches in terms of um young uh really exciting drivers and, and you know gasly could arguably be classified as one of those but you've got to stop making these stupid mistakes and you i mean what was he thinking i think this is something we can look back at if we get like a third away into the season and he's underperforming compared to last year, but I I don't know. I don't think there's too much to draw from this just yet. Brand new car, behaves a different way, makes downforce a different way. There's enough new going on that... Oh, who else know, crashed then? Anyone else crashed? That's not the... I mean, did, yeah, well, I'm sure lots <laughs> of people crashed. They, you know, they crashed, uh, they crashed after a night of partying and they just uh, had a crash. <laughs> I mean, so <laughs> you got, I, I, you I guess your 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 point is you're absolutely right. I just I don't know. I just don't think there's too much to read into it yet. Now, if he crashes again at the Bahrain test, maybe that's a little bit more ominous. I guess to me, it's why he'll never be in the running for another top line seat. I mean, look at George Russell. So Russell, you know, did his apprenticeship at Williams. Uh, had a one-off race at Mercedes, should have won that race in his one one chance prior to the season. He's now been promoted to the big boy team. And, you know, he was polished and flawless. He was on the pace, you know, kept Lewis uh, honest, had some great uh, press interviews, spoke very eloquently about the car and the performance and, you know, his expectations for the season. Didn't put a foot wrong. That's why he is, you know, touted as a potential future world champion. Right. And in the same bracket as people like Lando and and Charles. Um, But Gasly just keeps doing these daft things. And so that's why I think, you know, his big chance has come and gone. He probably won't have another one. Just a a little rant on Gasly. Anyway, um, anything else on testing, do you think? Uh, Testing woes were compounded for Haas when Mm. in the middle of it, they had to take their title sponsor off their car. The reason is uh, nothing short of a country invading another. And it's so incredible to see in our little niche micro world of Formula One how we have the connection to world geopolitics playing out in the sport. It's so odd to me that it's the one American-owned team with this huge primary Russian sponsorship and indeed a Russian driver that now is just turned into this whole very messy situation. So real quick, we'll just open it by saying, uh, you know, the FIA came out with a statement. The FIA Formula One World Championship visits countries all over the world with a positive vision to unite people, bringing nations together. We are watching the developments in Ukraine with sadness and shock and hope for a swift and peaceful resolution to the present situation. On Thursday evening, and this was last Thursday now, Formula One, the FIA, and, and the teams discussed the position of our sport. And the conclusion is 
including the view of all relevant stakeholders, that it is impossible to hold the Russian Grand Prix in the current circumstances. So, Russia is likely out, but it's not confirmed yet. And then there was the issue of Russian drivers. But let's first talk about your initial reactions to Formula One's reaction to what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, so you touched on Haz's predicament. I, I think Haz has to be applauded for the speediness of, of their uh, rejection of their sponsor, that's, a, that's a, a Russian conglomerate. So they were not interested in representing that sponsor anymore. So took the delivery, they, all, the, all the decals, all the color scheme that was associated with the sponsor, took it off the car. They ran in the plain white colors, just with Haz uh, and a couple of other sponsors' logos on the car. So, you know, that, that's obviously going to cost them some money um, but I think Gene has and, and his organization need to be applauded for that initiative. I think it's the right thing to do, so good on them, and let's hope they find some, some replacement sponsors uh, soon. I think um, you know that there are a number of drivers. I think Vettel was the leading uh, spokesperson, really, saying that he wasn't going to yeah. race in Russia in the, in the uh, existing circumstances, and I think that was also very brave, and I think it's the right decision not planning on going to Russia this year. Um, if indeed nothing changes and that's what happens. I think that's absolutely the right thing. So, you know, pleased that the right decisions are being made there. But I think with the drivers, it's a bit more, I have a slightly trickier thought there, but do you want to clarify what the what that position is right now as it stands? Uh, yeah, so we're in the situation where what is Formula One's connection to Russia going to be? What will and will not be tolerated? And... Obviously, Russian money plays a big role in that. And there is something I actually want to say about that before we get into the driving situation, because that is a little messier. There was this meeting, and there was huge publicity behind this big meeting where Vladimir Putin had his oligarchs show up and listen to him talking about the circumstances. And I believe the timing of this was immediately before the initial invasion. Nikita Mazepin's dad was in that room. And he's the one that owns the company that Haas had sponsored. So that is kind of a sharp reminder, stark, sharp reminder of how big money is connected throughout the world and in how Formula One obviously deals with a lot of big money and how those things are connected. So it, it there's just, it, that's to me a very telling and kind of formidable that stuck with me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's kind of, it's kind of a, kind of a weird thing to take in. But anyway, so now you have the question of will the FIA allow Russian drivers to compete in FIA-sanctioned events. And basically, as I understand it, what the FIA has determined is that, similar to the Olympic Committee has done, they can Russian drivers can compete in FIA-sanctioned events, but not under Russian national flag. They get like a, a, like a, a different FIA-branded flag or, or nationality to run under. But um, there's obviously still a lot of gray areas of how that's actually going to happen, especially with all the sanctionings coming in place. And then 
again, with Nikita Mazepin specifically, it's way more complicated than what nationality, quote unquote, are you racing under? Yeah, I, this is so. And to add to that, the the UK has announced they won't allow Russian drivers to race in any of their series, including the British Grand Prix. So, right. Uh, if Nikita keeps his seat at Haas, he won't be in the British Grand Prix based on on that policy as it stands. Uh, so, I, this is this is a bit muddier uh, because first of all, the Olympic situation is because of the state-sponsored doping of of Russian athletes and. That yeah. special situation was developed to allow clean athletes from Russia to compete, which I think we all get behind, right? Why should you punish everyone if they can prove and, and they, they abide by all the testing protocols? Why not ha- allow them to compete um, under the uh, Russian Olympic Federation banner or whatever they call it? Um, I, I didn't have a problem with that. But this is this is a different situation. This is about penalizing individuals based on what their state is doing and so in general i would say i'm not comfortable with that i don't see why russian racing drivers that are you know they may that they may not live in russia or they certainly may not support putin or, or the war in ukraine why they should necessarily be be punished i think that's a much more complicated question we need to think very deeply about how how we move forward on that because you could you know Different people from different parts of the world with different political persuasions might uh, take issue with with drivers of all sorts of nationalities. <laughs> we might end up with with a grid limited by only like a dozen countries that we all feel comfortable with. I mean, that's not really where we want to go, is it? Or Formula One would be a bunch of Swiss drivers because they claim neutrality. <laughs> right. All these. Well, even the Swiss are slightly controversial. Uh, they've been well, like, uh, other, other people's. I'm uh, saying this in jest because there's plenty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that's the point, isn't it? You could argue about every country. Uh, but with hold on, people. I mean, Chris, just just so you're aware, I yeah. treat you as nicely <laughs> as I'm willing to, based on what Boris Johnson has said that day. Just so you're aware. So. <laughs> oh, good. And I'm going to hold you accountable by whatever Biden is saying. Apparently, he's supporting the Iranians based on his uh, state of the Union address last night, but he'll move on. <laughs> but, we, but we digress. Um, yeah. so, so that's and much Lord more knows I would not want to be uh, characterized by certain administrations of, of recent past. So, uh, you know, exactly. there are – you're absolutely right. And then furthermore, you know, I'm actually – you know, I'm I'm – personal uh, personally through my wife friends with um, someone born in russian you, you know very very nice person yeah. and just like anywhere of, in the world the vast majority of russian people are 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 good nice people and a lot of russians are appalled at uh, the actions of their government uh, and country and, and military and a lot of them are actually trying to get out of the country so that's a whole there's a hot that's a, that's a different podcast isn't it let's not go down there yeah the point yeah that, yeah we're we're already <laughs> we're already flirting with the edge the, here but we're, yeah. we're we're kind of forced to because yeah. it's affecting the sport of formula one as much as it is but right now we have one driver from russia on the grid he's not that popular he's not that good so i think if he disappears no one's going to be particularly sad uh especially as you know he has only really got the drive because of his dad and, and how he's got to that point financially is questionable so I think I won't be very sad and I won't shed too many tears if Nikita gets replaced. But if that happened to be with a, a, a really well-qualified Russian driver, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed with that if I felt he was deserving of the drive. 
that's really the, the my conclusion. I don't know what you think. If Lewis Hamilton was Russian, this would be a more difficult conversation to have than Nikita Mazepin. At the same time, everything you just said about Russian people in general and, and people of the nationalities versus the governments of the nationalities is absolutely true. But Nikita, as I stated just a couple of moments ago, is a lot closer than usual to those governments. Do you see what I'm getting at? So Absolutely, yeah. That, I think, is the most is the stickiest part of this situation. You have Russian drivers in the FIA in generally, Formula 1, Formula 2, and on and on, like all the different FIA classes. But then you have the son of an oligarch. In Form- do, you, do you see what I'm getting at? I'm not, I'm, obviously, I'm getting very political here, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to minimize that, but that, that makes it more difficult for me as well. And the fact that you've already, as a team, Haas, has already said, well, we can't have the sponsor right now. Well, you have that sponsor because you have that driver. So how is that going to play out? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, so let's talk about other recent uh, Russian F1 drivers. We've had uh, Daniel K- uh, Kvyat. We had uh, yeah. Sergei uh, Sorotkin. Petrov. Yeah. Oh, Sorotkin, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. So, so I don't think, I, I don't know how deep their political ties are with with Putin and company. But on, on theoretically, I, I don't think anyone's really opposed to those drivers. Let's say Kvyat was offered a way back into the sport. I mean, he he, he, he was a decent peddler. Um, so and I he don't is think... still, I believe he's still reserve driver for Ferrari or simulator uh, driver or something. I, he's he's still I, I connected right. somehow. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think the, the point we're making is that they shouldn't, automatically be ruled out just on their nationality alone should we so there should be there needs to be a deeper investigation into into the character and the, and the individual and, and their links to to uh, other parts of, of their country before that decision is made unless they're found out to be doping and That's in right. that case <laughs> i don't know exactly how you dope for formula one but don't do it it's not good it's the point don't do it Let's just, for a slightly less tough conversation part of this to have, who theoretically would replace Nikita were he to be replaced for the entire season? I read a couple articles on that. Seems like one of the leading candidates is actually uh, Antonio Giovinazzi. Really? Okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Yep, just, you know, he he was obviously in the sport until the end of last year, several years' experience. Um, and, uh, you know, well, well healed in the sport, he would have a lot of experience that he could bring. And I think this was a really telling point that they made is Giovinazzi would be a much better metric to put, uh, Mick Schumacher against. So that's more of just a, it would be nice if kind of situation, but I, I, it would be cool to see how Mick stood up to Antonio Giovinazzi. Of course, another super sub of sorts was also mentioned <laughs> as someone that might come in. But then there were also a couple of uh, – uh, there was a – oh, I forget his name, but he's F2 talent. Oscar Piastri, who's the current F2 champion? Is yes. That the one yes. Who, who uh, more than a couple people are annoyed that Zhao got the seat then, as opposed to him. So there would kind of be some poetic justice to that. But also uh, Pietro Fittipaldi was mentioned, the grandson of Emerson. Um, mm-hmm. He is connected to 
he is connected to Haas already as a reserve driver. Right, and he had a he did a Grand Prix, didn't he, back in twenty twenty? Uh, That's right. Mm-hmm. Also, Kevin Magnuson was mentioned. Ooh, Kimi Raikkonen in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen's got too many costume uh, parties booked, so. <laughs> but I, so I, I didn't say his name yet. But Nico Hulkenberg, I, I, I kind of want it to be him, just because. Just, just because it'd be so great if he, if he just, if his F one career just kept being continually extended. I, I, there's something about that that I would just love. I, I can't imagine there'll be a shortage of drivers lining up to uh, talk to Gene Has um, if uh, if it's confirmed that Nikita's moving on. Um, but you know, it's 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 a poison chalice, isn't it? That that seat. I mean, if it, if Has are going to be running at the back again this year. Um, you're just up against Mick. I mean, I guess it's better than not driving at all, but it's not really where you'd want to be. I mean, when Nico last subbed in, you know, he had a car good enough for, well, put it on the front row, didn't he? So, you know, that's a, that's a whole different game, isn't it? Rather than guaranteed back row. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a foot in the door, no doubt. You'd have to hope you could blow away Mick and, and go, go to bigger and better things. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, let's talk about Haz's performance. I mean, they didn't develop their car last season at all uh, on the basis that they really wanted to focus on the rule change for 22. And right now, their pace and reliability doesn't seem to be rewarding them for that effort. And that's hugely worrying. Yeah. Especially as they've, um, you know, they've brought in quite a few Ferrari personnel to try and help them move away from, from the reliance on Delara and, and have more internal development. That they, they can't seem to get themselves off the off the back end of the of the grid they we really i hope that they find some progress here before too long because it's just not good for them or the sport really to have people that are so so far at the back well i i just i feel like that's an achilles heel kind of move to say we're not developing this car we're focusing on next year's car i've never seen that just bear fruit in the way that's intended you're you're either a well-funded team or you're not do you see what I'm getting at? Like, yeah, yeah. Ferrari, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Mercedes developed their car pretty heavily, and then the next year they come out with a lot of new developments still, and keep developing that new car. I mean, just Red Bull, obviously the same way. You know, Christian Horner was interviewed on Beyond the Grid uh, several months back, and he basically said as much. It's like, look, if you want to be a competitive team, you have to be able to develop your current car and build a great new car at the same you you just it's kind of like a walk and chew gum at the same time kind of a thing yeah i mean it has worked in the past hasn't it i mean if you think about uh honda back in in 2008 yeah. what they, became they, the they, braun gp car exactly if that had stayed as a honda they they basically had switched their attention to to the new regulations and and they ended up with a championship winning a car unfortunately not under their own name under braun's name but that shows that it can work, but the sport's moved on a lot in the last 13 years. And, you know, Haas has shown that their philosophy and approach by, by maximizing the number of parts they buy from an established team can work. Um, but for whatever reason, it, they've, they've just, it, the performance has really dipped in the last couple of seasons. That it, they need to find a way to turn a corner. I mean, you know, Williams was the last team in that situation, and it looks like they have. They've managed to turn the ship around, and they're getting back to respectability um, and, and inching their way back up the grid. And, and I think, you know, what we want to see is 
10 teams that are all pretty competitive. Um, we have no one, you know, streaking out at, at the front and we have no one dropping off the back. And that would give us the most entertaining racing that we can we can hope to get. Uh, so hopefully Has will you know, use this as an impetus to, to, to sort their reliability woes out and find some performance. Or maybe Haas will become Andretti Grand Prix in 2024. That might not be all bad either. Well, did you see Michael's uh, comments during the, the, the St. Pete uh, IndyCar race? He, he was taken aback by how cool the response was to his interest in joining Formula One. You know, people like Christian Horner and Toto Wolff really weren't uh, very positive about it. Uh, at all i talked about dilution of the sport and the revenues and and uh, i guess um zach brown was a bit more a bit more positive and could see that the benefits to the sport but, the the uh, american yeah yeah and, uh, about else was american like, uh, getting in the sport yeah <laughs> and of course f1 and the fa haven't even responded to his uh, submission yet which was entirely predictable so yeah long road ahead yet for for michael um to get back into formula one which I think is a shame. I, I can definitely see the benefits. I'd love to see an Andretti entry, and I'd love to see, as we talked about before, some you know new thinking and hopefully some different drivers, especially ones that hopefully have um, you know grown up here in the U.S. Well, yeah, exactly right. And and unlike Haas, Andretti has already said absolutely firmly committed. Yes, it would be a it would be an American driver in my car, at least one. So that that's what that just as you and I have talked about many times over the past. You need it's not this uh, in the background stuff the fact that america the united states actually has a lot of involvement in formula one we need an american driver we need an american team that looks like an american team and by that i suppose i don't mean bud light and uh, barbecues but i do mean yes you do come on well i, I wouldn't be opposed <laughs> to the barbecue part i'm more of a micro brewery kind of a guy but you know uh, we can we can work on those details, but <laughs> barbecue's fantastic. Okay, barbecue's fantastic. I've stated Absolutely. it down, and Love so it. is iced tea. Yep. So uh, that uh, that's what I want. I want Snapple or uh, Arizona iced tea. That's what I want as the title sponsor for my American Formula One team. I think this is a great time to actually move to obviously much more American friendly racing, and that is IndyCar. Uh, IndyCar didn't have a test this past weekend. They raced. They went around the road course at Saint Peter in Saint Petersburg, Florida, several times, and we got a brand new race winner out of it. We did, yeah, Scott McCoughlin, uh, another New Zealander. Obviously, New Zealanders seem to like Indy cars. Yeah, first uh, first win in in uh, Indy car. It's his second year with Penske, and he definitely started the season off right. This was how Simon Paginode got his 2016 championship winning season off to a start. He just, he, he was struggling at Penske. He jumped in in 2016 and just started winning races and went on to win the championship. So Scott McLaughlin's definitely, definitely started the season about as good as you can. He won that race from pole position, I should add. Yeah. Well, he was rookie of the year last year. Uh, so we knew that he uh, found a spiritual home in IndyCars, definitely up for the task. But uh, but yeah, what a way to start. Uh, interesting, you know, it was a race-long battle with uh, Palau, last year's champion. Uh, I guess, you know, the whole race split. You know, some drivers went for two stops, some went for three. Both McCoughlin and Palau went for two stops. And just looking at some data here on, on the critical stop that, that allowed McCoughlin to hold the lead and ultimately win the race. 
I guess it, it all came down to his outlap performance. He was almost a second quicker than Palau on, it, on, on his outlap, you know, on cold tyres. That's impressive. I mean, those things, Very. those Indy, Indy cars are tough. They're not allowed tyre warmers. They're tough to drive uh, on cold tyres. It's an unforgiving circuit. A lot of concrete uh, walls around uh, St. No, Pete. No power steering so, either in an Indy car. Right. That's true. So, yeah, that, that is, uh, that's, that's uh, impressive performance. I mean, I will add that uh, the pit stop was, was fractionally quicker as well by half a second. So the Penske team did a good job there. But, um, but yeah, that outlap was, was what I mean, they were, they were nose to tail after he came out the pits. So without that uh, performance, he, he would have lost the lead probably. So, And it does look like it, obviously we're only one race in, but it, this was Team Penske, race winner Scott McLaughlin, and Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, runner-up Alex Palau, right behind him. So it, it's looking like Penske and Ganassi will be right there yet again. And we'll see how Andretti uh, pairs this weekend because Andretti's top driver was, in fact, uh, Roman Grosjean, um, who I believe finished the race fifth at the end. And that was a huge improvement from how he started the weekend. I think this was Friday when he had a big crash in Friday practice, just running into the back of Takuma Sato. Yeah, that was a funny incident, wasn't it? Um, Herta was fourth, right? Herta drives for Andretti. No? Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. So he was not the lead. You're correct. Sorry about that. But yeah, Andretti fourth and fifth, um, which they seemed to struggle at times last year, didn't they? I think they did pretty well in St. Pete uh, last year, but but they had a bit of an up and down season. So hopefully this bodes well for them to really get in the mix with Ganassi and Penske this this season. Yeah. So just real quick, we'll run through this. Um, Scott McLaughlin won. Alex Palau was second. Will Power, another Penske driver, he finished on the podium in third. Then Colton Herta, you're right, he was the top Andretti guy, and Roman Grosjean was right behind him. And then behind that in sixth was Renus VK, who is not actually Renus VK, but his name is Renus VK as far as we're concerned. And then uh, Graham Rahal, Scott Dixon, Marcus Erickson, and indeed Takuma Sato finished 10th. Now, where did your favorite driver finish? You know, I did look out for him, and uh, I know he was he was qualified in the 20s and finished in the 20s, didn't he? But by all accounts, it was a slightly more respectable performance. Um, in fact, it was... Uh, <laughs> a slightly more respectable performance. Well, he, he, he oh, was actually... Oh, he was pivotal He was pivotal in the result, wasn't he? Because um, yeah, he, he held actually up ended Palau up blocking. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Well, he, no, he, he tried to hold up McCoughlin to assist Palau to allow him to close no, the gap. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. I had it exactly backwards. I apologize. Yes. So he's now able to, to go fast enough and to keep it, you know, on the black stuff enough that he can help his teammates when he gets lapped. So we went so from good. a rolling chicane to a useful rolling chicane is, <laughs> is what I'm hearing in the from you. Yeah, in the course of a season. So who knows what might, might happen next year. <laughs> yeah, give him three more seasons in IndyCar and he could be mid-pack. Yeah, it, it's tough. We're making fun at his expense. You know, he he's done quite a lot. This is a big transition from NASCAR to IndyCar and he is not the youngest driver in the field. Uh, so I just have to say once, there is fundamentally a lot of respect for him. At the same time, this will not be the last time I poke fun at him either. Is he going to run ovals this year? I believe he was talking about a full season, but that's that was the big news with um, Roman. Roman now with Andretti Autosport, he is 
effectively in Ryan and Hunter Ray's car. He has DHL sponsorship, the whole deal, so he's in yellow. Roman is running the full season. So Roman Grosjean will be at the Indianapolis 500 this year. Because I think that's the thing that Jimmy should take advantage of. Obviously, you know, he's probably got more experience around ovals than the rest of the field combined. And so yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not use that to your advantage and get a few good results for your IndyCar team and sponsors to, to relieve some of the pressure when you're on road courses? It just doesn't make any sense to me that, and I'm sure he's explained it, and I, I just haven't read it. But to me, it's like you've got to give yourself a break and, and play to your strengths, haven't you? At some point. Yeah, let's hope. I mean, the next race is at Texas, isn't it? Which is the one and a half mile oval. Uh, maybe, maybe exactly right out there, and and, and it's the win. same day as the Indi- as the Formula One opener in Bahrain. It's the twentieth. Yeah. So a couple of other results that caught my eye. So Pato Award finished twelfth in the McLaren. Um, Newgarden was down in sixteenth in his Penske, and then Rossi uh, finished twentieth in, uh, for, in for Andretti. Uh, so some big names finishing, you know, in the in the lower half of the uh, the order there and then also there was some interesting performance i mean Palo started 10th on the grid takuma sato started 22nd and managed to make it up to 10th conversely mm-hmm. new garden started 9th so there was some decent i mean i think you know obviously the pits uh, shuffled a little bit there was only one caution flag period uh, which is unusual at, at st pete but but definitely some passing and some moving up and down the order was possible if you had it hooked up on sunday which is good to see because you know we definitely got a very competitive grid uh for this year's indycar series um but you want to be able to see racing don't you, you want to be able to see people uh moving up or down the order depending on on their performance and definitely that's what we got so that's good good uh, good opener for indycar Absolutely. Um, I just want to make one point about Rossi. He was, he did end up finishing 20th, but he was kind of like, you know, off cycle in pits a bit. He did lead 10 laps of the race kind of in the middle. So he was just, he just, you know, they made a gamble on pit strategy and it didn't quite work out for him. He was one of the two stoppers, by the way. Um, yeah, Rossi, so, Dixon, and Award all, I think, were running three stoppers, weren't they? And I think it, it uh, Dixon ended up being the highest placed three stopper in eighth. So definitely the two stoppers had it, uh, had it, the strategy right. But that's my point. Rossi was a two stopper, but he was a two stopper on a different cycle. Is, is you see what uh, I'm getting okay. at? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it's an exciting season coming up in IndyCar. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to that and uh, very, very happy. I love New Zealand. Um, the bits of New Zealand I've seen and experienced and the people I've experienced, the, it's all been positive. It's a great, great place. So I'm, I'm, Certainly happy to have another Kiwi to see competing and uh, a race winner, no less. It's all very, very cool. Well, it just looks super competitive, doesn't it? I mean, I don't expect he'll dominate this season. I would think that there's going to be a lot of different drivers and teams winning this year, which is what we really want, I think. We want to see, uh, we don't want a Formula One style domination by a couple of drivers, do we? We want to to have a good mix and a good battle throughout. And I think that's what IndyCar can give us. Exactly right. And, um, you know, you talked a little bit about uh, barbecue, or I mentioned it, and you went with it. And I want to tell you my favorite barbecue, and that's Korean barbecue. Oh, that's controversial. <laughs> and hey, guess what? What a, what a lovely segue to my YouTube video that I just did on the Kia Telluride. It is, it is the largest vehicle that Kia and indeed Hyundai sell in the United States. The Hyundai Hyundai is called the Palisade. 
But the Kia Telluride definitely has different styling to the Hyundai, and it was a very interesting car to test. It has a lot of positives. It's a very competitive price. So here's a fun little thing. Now, these cars aren't, this isn't apples to apples, but I recently tested a Chevrolet Tahoe. The cheapest Tahoe you can buy is $51,000. The Kia Telluride I had was about best as you can get effectively top the line. It was the SX, which is the top trim with the prestige package on top of that. And that out the door was under fifty grand. Yeah, they've always um, been known for the value for money. But yet, you know, they, they have good styling, great quality these days, uh, you know, and, and they're pretty compelling products in their own right, I think it's fair to say, uh, which is why they keep increasing their market share in the US and other parts of the world. But I'm still reeling from your assertion that Korean barbecue is the best barbecue you can get. I mean, I know you, <laughs> oh, yeah. I know you, have, a, I know you have a family dimension to this that may force you to have to say that. But I, I've had good Korean barbecue and I've had awful, really terrible Korean barbecue because it very much depends on the meat that uh, they're barbecuing. Um, I do like the little grills that they have integrated into the table. That's a really neat idea. Yeah. But uh, p- pork barbecue is probably one of the worst meals I've ever consumed. Um, beef barbecue, pretty good. <laughs> well, there but you still go. Not as good as, still not as good as good old-fashioned American smoky, smoky barbecues, in my opinion. Yes. Well, um, as, as long as uh, I'm still in this house... <laughs> I, yeah. I have to respectfully disagree. <laughs> we'll leave the food discussion for another podcast. Maybe we'll have to have a test. Maybe we'll have to do a comparison test back to back. But one more announcement. We are now going to have the podcasts available on YouTube. So uh, if you go to YouTube and you search FW Cars, we have a separate YouTube channel up. And it now officially has two episodes and it's going to be a regular thing so please uh tell all your friends and uh help spread the word that would be wonderful i'd appreciate that very cool and i would like to thank you for listening please take a moment to review us on itunes or on youtube or whatever platform you get our podcast uh, please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com as always i can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash FWCars. Chris, what an afternoon. What a conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.